Okay, so Exodus 27. Um, something I don't want us ever to forget here. You, you see, it's kind of cool because we're getting a little picture of the intimacy that the Lord is having with Moses. You know, and for me, it reminds us of our own intimacy that the Lord has with us. When we take our, 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 our quiet time, when we, you know, turn the TVs off, turn the computers off and, you know, take out all the concerns, all the worries, all the concerns of our minds and just put them everything on the back burner. You know, you sit on your couch, you sit on the chair or whatever, sit on your bedside and you open up the Bible and you have your own personal time with the Lord. And that's what we're seeing in these chapters that we're looking at. Remember, Moses went up to the mountain and he kind of disappeared in the cloud. And, you know, if you ever see like the fog, you know, you're at one elevation and you see somebody at a lower elevation where the clouds are or where, you know, their fog is. And all of a sudden they walk and you can see them get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And then, boom, they're gone. All you see is the cloud. And that's how Joshua was with Moses. Remember, all the people, all the, you know, all the, the, the tribes of Israel, they're at the bottom of the mountain. And, you know, in a, in a very short while, um, they're at the bottom of the mountain, but in a very short while, they're going to be worshiping a golden calf. They're going to fashion a golden calf. And then you come up the mountain a little bit more. And what do you see? You see Aaron and the elders. And then you come up the mountain a little bit more and then you see Joshua. And then you go up the mountain a little bit more and you see Moses. He's in a cloud on the top of the mountain. And it's there where the Lord is speaking to him and teaching him and showing him the, showing him. All these things that he's saying, hey, Moses, I want you to go back down to the people and you need to construct these things. You need to make these things. And what's so powerful to consider is that the Lord already knows that there's going to be a golden calf, that the people are going to fall, they're going to stumble, and they're going to start worshiping this golden calf. He already knows it's going to happen, but then at the same time, he still makes provision for their return. And, you know, it reminds me a lot about us because while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He knew exactly my sin. He knew exactly your sin. And he still went through with it. He still says, you know what? This is my son in whom I'm well, in whom I'm well pleased. And in obedience, Jesus Christ, you know, he's baptized. John the Baptist, John the Baptist was like, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And then the Lord tells him, hey, you have to do these things to fulfill what the Lord has. And so he was like, okay, I'm going to baptize you now. And then Jesus Christ comes out of the water. He emerges from the water and there's the dove that's falling down like the Holy Spirit. And then you, everybody heard the voice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it's so powerful because when you go through the gospel, we just studied the book of Matthew and you get to the end of the book of Matthew and Jesus Christ. Remember, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's bleeding blood. So, so. I don't know how to say it, but like. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you have to do something, but you don't want to do something? You have to do it. But they're inside of you. You're like, I don't want to do it. And Jesus Christ was like, you know, he was kind of like that. But he says, you know what? He says, Father, take this cup from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, thy will. And in obedience, he says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and proceed with this. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. But then at the same time, you start to realize when you get to the book of Acts and you hear Peter speaking to the multitudes of people, it's the means by which... You and I are saved to this very day. While we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for you and for me. And that's a little Old Testament picture here in the book of Exodus. It's an Old Testament example of that very concept. How God is having this beautiful, beautiful interaction. A moment of intimacy with Moses. And remember, you know, what happened in our study in, in the early chapters of Exodus. Moses had no idea who God was. He had no idea who he was. Being raised, thinking he's of the, the, the Egyptian household of the, you know, of the Pharaoh's household. He becomes a young man and he realizes I'm not even Egyptian. He finds out, wow, you know what? I'm Hebrew, but I don't know this God that the Hebrews worship. 
And what kind of God is this when the Hebrew people are in captivity? Then he goes and he leaves. And what the Lord does in him and through him in that time period where he's in the wilderness. And then all of a sudden he says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. That's what happens with you and me. How the Lord will take us out of a situation and say, you know, he'll do a work with us. And then all of a sudden he'll say, okay, now I want you to go back into this situation. I want you to go over here. He does the same thing with the disciples. You know how everybody was freaked out to be in the temple area. Because they just saw, wow, you know, our Lord was crucified. And then so they were freaked out. They go away. Now in our study on Sunday, what do you see? The disciples in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden they're going back to the temple area. And, you know, they have a little confrontation with the high priest. And it's such a trip because it's so cool what the Lord does inside of a person. Male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. What he does inside of a person to say, you know what? You believe in me. Now I'm going to take you. I'm going to fix you up. I'm going to do all these things. You know, this drugs, this alcohol, this sexual stuff, all these things that you're involved with. I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to get rid of it. And I'm making you a new creation. We are the clay. He is the potter. Part of this process of holiness in no way, shape, or form am I advocating the law. But in accordance with the Old Testament, part of this process of uh, uh, atoning for sin and the atonement of sin is something called the brazen altar. And the Lord is giving Moses the blueprints for this altar in chapter 27. This brazen altar, when you hear brazen altar, just think it's just like a fancy way of saying a a, a bronze covered altar. And this is, this is hardcore what is happening here. The blueprints, the early stages, the blueprints, the very concept of the Lord saying, Moses, this is what I want you to make. But this brazen altar, it's not a small thing. It's a very, very big deal. I'll tell you a a little, you know, we're not going to get... We're not going to get to the actual functionality of the brazen altar just yet, but I'm going to give you uh, uh, precursory information about this brazen altar. So say, for example, we're Jewish, okay, and we're in the wilderness and there's the Levitical priesthood that does everything in temple worship or in worship in the tabernacle. So what happens is, You know, if in my home, say I have my wife and I have two sons and two daughters. Say, for example, my son, one of my sons has sinned. An egregious, egregious sin. Well, as head of my household, this is what would happen. You know, I'd correct my son, number one. I don't want to be his best friend. I want to be his father. And I want to teach him and mold him and, you know, teach him how to walk with the Lord and honor the Lord. And then so say, for example, he commits this egregious sin. And so I correct him as father, but there's still sin in my home. There's sin under my tent. And so what I would have to do is I'd have to go to my flock and I'd have to pick the choice. You know, it was kind of like a a barometer of of, uh, social classes. Because if I was poor, I would take a little turtle dove. If I was a little bit higher on the social economic scale, you know, I would take a lamb. But if I was rich, I would take a bigger animal like an ox. And so that's why, you know, people would, the Lord had provision for the poor people, for the middle class, and then the upper class. You know, and it's just like it is today. You know, you see people with big houses. Back then, people had big tents. And you'd be like, wow, this guy's loaded. You know, you'd see his animals and you'd be like, wow, you know, I only have one sheep. And this guy has like 3,000. Like, whoa, this guy's loaded. You know, blessed of the Lord. I shouldn't say loaded like that, but blessed of the Lord. And then something happens where, you know, it's like, so my son has committed an egregious sin. I correct him, but I still need to make atonement for my house. As head of my household, I still need to make atonement. So I would take my lamb. You know, say I'm a middle class guy. I would take my lamb. And it wouldn't be just like, you know. A defunct lamb. It wouldn't be like a mangy lamb. It would be the cream of the crop. It would be the best spotless. It would be where if I were to trade it, I could make a lot of money. I could take this one lamb and trade it for, you know, 10 lambs. 
So it's like the cream of the crop. I wouldn't take a mangy thing because it's honoring to the Lord. So I would take this. I would go up, approach the, the gate of the temple or the tabernacle. I would go to the priest and I would say, you know what? There's sin in my home, you know, and I would say my son has done these things. You know, I corrected him and, you know, here is my lamb. I need I need to have atonement with the Lord. I need my home to be right with the Lord. And so the priest, you know, and a godly priest, not not a priest like you see in Eli's day, you know, who was his sons were doing all kinds of crazy things in all godliness in accordance with the law. And I'm not advocating the law, but in accordance with the law, the priest would take the lamb and it would be slaughtered. It would be killed. They'll take some of that blood and they'll put it on me. They'll sprinkle some of the blood on me. You know, so it's like, well, I have blood on me. As head of my home, there would be blood on me. And then he takes some of that blood and then he would sprinkle it on this altar, on this brazen altar. And then he would take the animal and set it on fire and burn it on the brazen altar. And it's the process of atonement. Remember, life for life, life is in the blood. And life for life, it's a transfer of the sin in my home, in my tent. And it's a transfer to say, I'm transferring this and I'm tra- my sin and I'm transferring it into this animal. And this animal is going to die for this sin. Because remember, the wages of sin is death. And, you know, people think of it like, well, you know, I, I don't get the, the whole animal sacrifice. It's, it's, yes, it's animal sacrifice, but really it's life for life in accordance with the law. And because there's life in the blood, the blood is sprinkled on me. The blood is sprinkled on the on this brazen altar. And then the animal is burned before the Lord. And the smoke that, that comes up from the fire, it's pleasing unto the Lord. It's not pleasing unto the Lord like, wow, you know, there's a dead lamb now. It's pleasing unto the Lord because it's, wow, I'm right with the Lord now. My home is now sanctified. There's a sin in my home. There's this sin in my tent. My son has committed this egregious sin. And because in obedience, you know, I make atonement for him. And then the smoke goes up. The fire goes up. It's pleasing before the Lord. Now I go back to my house and I go back to my tent, you know, and I say, okay, son, don't play around with this anymore. You're not going to visit this girl anymore. You're not going to play around with this crack pipe anymore. It's over and done with. You know, and I would correct my son. And it's so cool because it's the process of holiness. You know, we live in a culture and a generation that has no concept of what holiness is. And when I speak about this holiness, I'm not advocating the law. I'm just showing you an example of what that process is. Me personally, I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful on one level. But because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law, I think it's even more beautiful in terms of what he as the sacrificial lamb, in terms of what he as his blood is sprinkled on me for the atonement of the sin in my home. It's a shadow of the things to come, the things that we're reading about here in the law. And it's so incredibly beautiful. Now you see why the Lord was very, very, very mad when you get into like 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 3 Samuel. Because what was happening in those days, there was a priest by the name of Eli who wanted to be his kid's best friend. He didn't want to correct his kids. He knew about his sons who were also working in the temple. And, you know, it kind of blows me away because, you know, you kind of see churches today that are uh, run like a business. You know, me personally, I hate it. I can't stand it. But you see a lot of churches today that are run like a business where a pastor will say, well, you know, I'm getting old and, you know, I want to groom my sons to be the pastor. I'm, you know, my son, my firstborn is going to be the pastor. My secondborn is going to be the co-pastor. And then the thirdborn, he'll be an elder. But, you know, later on, he'll have his own church. It doesn't work that way. You cannot run church like a business. A pastor, he could have five, ten kids. It doesn't matter. But if you think of church like a business, you're going to say, okay, my successor is my son. Instead, what should happen is who is the godly man in the fellowship? Is it an elder? Is it a deacon? And godliness in accordance with the word of God, in accordance with what Paul writes to Timothy about. 
and to say, hey, you know what? You know, this is, you know, maybe you should work as a deacon. Maybe you should work as an elder. And I'm going to pray for you, but let me tell you something, brother. You know, I'm going to, I'm not going to be a pastor forever. I'm going to die pretty soon. And to say, hey, you know what? There's people here that need to be fed. People here that need to be taught the holy word of God. People here that need to be protected from the demonic realm. And yeah, I love my sons a lot. And you know, there's some of them are boneheads. Some of them are like on fire for the Lord, but they're still struggling with certain sin. But you, I've been watching you for a while. I see your home. I see your wife. I see your kids. And you know what? I want to I wanna help you walk with me. That's how it should be. It shouldn't be, you know, for a son number one, son number two. That's what you see when churches run like business. But then what happens? Where's the godliness? And so the same thing happens in the law. You know, when I gave that example of how the brazen altar, what it represented in my life, how it would take my lamb. So what Eli was doing, the, the priest, you know, in that same scenario, if you fast forward, you know, several years and I take my lamb, there's still sin in my home and I take my lamb and I present it to Eli. Then what was happening in Samuel's day is, you know, I would take my animal to, 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 to Eli and say, for example, I had a couple daughters and they, they're not with me because I'm the head of my home, you know, and I take my, my, my animal to Eli. Well, if my daughters were outside of the temple, Eli's sons who were workers in the temple, so-called workers in the temple, they'd also go out and visit my daughters, you know, and commit crazy crazy sexual sin now you see why the lord was angry when you read first and second third samuel you know you see or, 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 or first first samuel chapter one two and three you see there was no widespread revelation of the lord the lord was quiet silence from the lord you know why because look at what was happening in the temple Look at what was happen happening. Because, you know, it's like, you know, it says that um, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, part of this mercy seat on top of the ark and the, uh, the Lord t is telling Moses and in the ark that you shall put the testimony that I will give you. Verse 22, he says, and there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. That hasn't changed through the law. And so with Eli, because of his disobedience, because he loved his sons more than he loved God, and his sons were committing crazy, crazy sin. Having like sex, like I give you that example, you know, I give my son commits a sin, I give my lamb. Well, the sons of Eli, who I'm giving my lamb to, would go out and have sex with my daughters. Meanwhile, Eli is, you know, sacrificing the animal, sprinkling blood on me, sprinkling blood on the altar. He's going through the motions. Yet, where's the holiness in his life? That's the disconnect. The exact same thing happens today in the pastor community, in the elder community. The exact same thing happens today. Where you'll have pastors and teachers who will say, hey, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. But then all of a sudden they're saying, look at me, I'm doing this. It's garbage. That's the disconnect. And, you know, it blows me away because you get a picture of what's happening here. You get a picture of, man, this is why the Lord was, you know, he was mad with Eli. When Samuel, remember, there's no widespread revelation. Nobody heard from the Lord. But you know who heard from the Lord? Samuel. Beautiful, beautiful little Samuel. The priests would have special clothing. We're going to get to that in a couple more chapters. Next week, we're going to talk about, you know, Lord willing. But next week, we're going to talk about the priestly garments. And you know what's so cool about Hannah? A barren woman. She couldn't have babies. And you know, she made a prayer before the Lord. She makes a prayer before the Lord. And Eli was like mocking her, making fun of her. And she makes a prayer before the Lord and says, you know what, Lord? If you can give me a baby, I will dedicate my, my baby to you. 
And then the Lord blesses her and opens her womb. And she has a baby and she has a little Eli. And you know, there's passages in, in, in this re recording, what's, what's captured here. She would make little baby clothes, like the priestly clothes for her little son. I mean, you see like a little kid and he's dressed, you know, like in a suit or whatever. But she would make it and, and you know, fashion it out like a priest. And she would say here, you know, and then at the right, when, when, the, when she got done, I don't know what you like nursing that stage, she gave the son back to the Lord. And gave the son to Eli. And says, Eli, my son's going to work. He's going to work in the temple. He's going to honor the Lord. And she says, I'm honoring my commitment to the Lord. And she gives her son to Eli. She gives her son to the Lord. But she says, here, Eli. Eli was the priest. His sons worked in the, in the temple. Except the Lord spoke to Samuel. He skipped all those people. You know, it, with our human eyes, we would look at that situation and be like, wow, the Lord speaks with Eli. Oh, look at these godly men. They're the sons of Eli. The Lord is speaking to them. But then you read the Bible and you know who the Lord was speaking to? Samuel, little baby Samuel, little baby Samuel, who was in his garb, his priestly garb, fashioned together by his mom. Beautiful, beautiful Hannah. You see how the Lord, he doesn't look at, you know, he doesn't look, oh, this guy's a priest. This guy's a pastor. This guy's a deacon. This guy's an elder. He doesn't, he does, he's concerned about the heart. And so this brazen altar, what we're talking about here in Exodus, it's a huge deal. Do you remember when Jesus Christ, when he goes into Jerusalem, he walks into the temple and he sees what is happening. Remember, he got so angry and he started throwing the tables over. The Bible records it as the money changers because what they were doing, that same example, say I have four kids, two of my sons, one of my sons has committed an egregious sin. I would take the best of my flock, the very best of my flock. I would go into the temple and I would say, hey, I need to make you know atonement for this sin in my home. And so the priests who turned it into a business, they would have you know their, their business partners there. They would take my animal, they would look it over, examine it, and say, well, you know, there's this. Yeah, this is nice, but we found this blemish over here. Here, let me put this to the side, and they give you this other one. And I'll give you this other one, except it's 200 bucks. And so I'd say, wow, you know, the priest is telling me that my lamb is, is unacceptable, and I need to atone for my sin. So I'm going to take the, his lamb that he's offered me, pay 200 bucks. Meanwhile, you know, I do, and it, the, the priest would do the thing, sacrifice the animal, take the blood. And it's like, wow, they, that's why the Lord was mad. They turned it into a place of commerce. A den of thieves, the Lord, he's, he was so angry, he started throwing the tables over. He says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. It's very, very holy what's happening here. Very holy, and I'm speaking about the law. But remember, when I say it's very holy, it's a shadow of the things to come. Jesus Christ being the lamb. Jesus Christ also being the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is all in all. The propitiation. The, his blood. All these little aspects of the law. It's Jesus Christ. Remember the Pharisees when they're with Jesus? They're like, oh, you know, we're not going to believe your craziness. We're hardcore. We're of Moses. And then the Lord tell him, told him, he says, you know, Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about me. And since you, you don't, you don't, uh, uh, you know, how can you believe what he wrote? How can you even believe what he wrote? When you miss the very fact that he wrote about me. So when I speak about the holiness of the law, it's like, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Because it's a shadow of the things to come. Yeah, remember the law today, the law is still in effect. Not the law like, you know, we have to go back to the law and start to fulfill all these things. But the law condemns. I love my wife, I honor my wife. But if I start to beat on my wife and I start to cheat on my wife, I am no longer under grace. I can no longer be a pastor. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm under the law. 
And then because I'm under the law and there's conviction and condemnation in the law, the Lord uses that as a schoolmaster to say, hey, get back to where you need to be. And then I fall to my knees and then I repent and I come back. I'm now under grace again. But if I'm prideful and arrogant and I refuse to humble my heart and that same situation arises, I come out of grace I say I beat on my wife, I cheat on my wife, I, you know, alcohol, drugs, the whole nine yards. All of a sudden I come out of grace and then the Holy Spirit attempts and tries desperately to, you know, as a schoolmaster to use the law to bring me back to here. But in my pride and arrogance, I say, no way. I refuse to humble myself. It's the pride of life. And then all of a sudden it's like I get worse and worse and worse. And then the Lord gives me up. The Lord gives me up. That's what happens in the book of Romans. You say like, what do you mean the Lord gives you up? Well, look what happens here in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's what unrighteousness does. It's a suppression of truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So that example of me leaving grace and I'm now under the law and I'm so prideful and I don't want to humble myself and then I get worse and worse and worse. This is what happens. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So say for that example, say, for example, I'm still I'm out here and I refuse to humble myself. The Holy Spirit is trying to get me back to grace and I refuse the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, you know, you say, you might say, hey, Jay, you know, repent, repent, come back to Christ. You know, you need to repent. And then I start to tell you, you're so stupid. Why are you going to be like those dumb Christians? Why are you going to go to that dumb church? Why are you going to read your dumb Bible? Why are you going to do all these things? And you know what? I'm professing to be wise. Yeah, I'm college ed educated, you know, and, you know, I don't believe in the things, the fairy tales that you believe in. They don't like to say they're atheists. They don't like to say that, you know, they don't believe in God. They like to say I'm agnostic. Yeah, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in the Bible, but I'm agnostic. That's the same way of saying I reject Jesus Christ. And look at what happens. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up. You see? So I'm so prideful. And instead of listening to the Holy Spirit and humbling myself and coming back to the, the Lord and coming back to His grace and coming back to green pastures... Something else happens where in my pride and arrogance, the Lord gives me up and then it gets worse and worse. Look what happens. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. It's like, wow, you know, I was once here knowing the truth and abiding in Christ. And because of sin, remember, Satan's a fisherman, too. And, you know, Satan's over here. He casts his line. And here I am over here. And I take the bait. And then all of a sudden I take the bait and boom, I'm yanked out of here. And he says, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their body, their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So here I am now. And instead of, you know, yielding to the Holy Spirit, instead of humbling myself, it's like, you know what? I don't believe that what you call truth anymore. Exchange the truth of God for the lie. 
and worship and serve and and worship and serve the creator rather the create the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen all these people who worship the earth a created thing gaia worship a created thing they worship the sun a created thing Look at what happens here. He says, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Here, how it translates into lesbianism, bestiality, homosexuality. You see, does that kind of ring a bell? You look at like the Roman culture, the fall of the Roman uh, uh, Roman culture, you know, you see rampant homosexuality. Emperors who have a son and then the son says, hey, dad, I want to be a daughter. And, you know, the, the emperor says, OK, you know, I hereby bequeath you. You are a woman. You are a female. Does that ring a bell? Nothing new under the sun. It's the same old trick, you know, the repetitive nature. For, their, for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. It's a debased mind. It's a form of judgment. A form of judgment. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Oh, God is love. God is love. Let these people, you know, if they want to love each other like that, go ahead. Let them do that. They need to read their Bibles. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Yes, God is love. But he's also just. And he doesn't want you or me to play around with sinful things. This is, you know, it's kind of a, a long dissertation. Because we're talking about the brazen altar here in Exodus 27. You say, wow, you know, that was kind of, you went like way all over the place. But you see, this brazen altar is, it's a big deal. It's a very, very, very big deal. Because there's egregious sin, what's going to happen. When Moses goes down from the mountain, there's egregious sin in the camp. And it reminds me of today. Egregious, egregious sin in the camp. In the camp. And judgment comes first in the house of God. And I'm not advocating the law. You know, it, but you know... It, this I'm not saying, hey, we need to build a brazen altar. It's nothing like that at all. But to understand what this represents in Jesus Christ. My sin, your sin being transferred unto him. It's a very, very, very big deal. So that's kind of, that was an introduction into what we're going to study here. Now look at Exodus 27 verse 1. The Lord is giving these instructions to Moses in the cloud on the top of the mountain. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be one piece and one piece with it. And you shall overlay it with bronze. So that's when you hear brazen altar. People say brazen altar all the time. It's just a fancy way of saying a bronze covered altar. But the Lord is telling here, telling Moses here, you shall overlay it with bronze. Also, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes. You know, this is, these are things that are used for burnt offerings. 
And it, it's such a trip because when you we're, we're going to read it later on in, in the, the books of the law. But this concept of the, the burnt offering, it's also uh, it's uh, the, how it translates in the Hebrew is to ascend. To ascend. It really puts the rapture into a whole new light. A whole new light. And the ascension of Jesus Christ who was the first fruits of the, uh, of the resurrection, it puts the rapture into a whole new light. What is my life? What is your life before the Lord? Is it a sacrifice unto the Lord? Yes, Lord, you know what? This is so difficult. But Lord, not my will, thy will. I'm gonna sacrifice this area of my life. I'm gonna sacrifice it to you. This alcohol that used to be a snare to me, Lord, I'm giving it to you. I don't want to run to alcohol, Lord. I want to run to you. This drug, you know, whatever it is, this sexual stuff, whatever it is, you know, I don't want to run to those things. I want to run to you, Lord. And then the Lord cleans you up. And then now you're walking with the Lord and it's like, wow, you know what? I don't want to hang out with this drug dealer. I don't want to tell this druggie about Jesus Christ. I don't want to tell this bonehead about Jesus Christ. We don't see eye to eye politically. We're on two different spectrums of, you know, of culture, societal norms. No, I want to sit at home and watch TV. Or... You could say, Lord, my life is an offering to you. Yeah, you know, I'm tired. You know, yeah, instead of getting, you know, my sleep, you know, maybe I won't get sleep. But Lord, I'm going to honor you. My life is like fully sold out to you. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. Especially with the fellow by the name of Paul. I shouldn't say it that way. Because you see it in Peter. You see it in all these people. You see it in the early church. People who were like, yeah, you know what? I know that, you know, people don't like Christians. Well, who cares? We're going to meet here, you know. And then, you know, we're not going to meet next week. We're going to meet tomorrow. And then that day comes. It's like, okay, we're not going to meet a week later. We're going to meet tomorrow again. And you see this hunger. And you see, it's like, wow, you know, it, to me, I, I, can't, I can't place these things on another person. But to me, it really places a lot of, it reveals a lot about the rapture of the church. It's not just a matter of like, boom, we're out of here. I mean, there's that aspect too. You know, it's like, whoa, you know, the shedding off of the old. Yeah, we're in these earth suits. But it's like one day we're gonna, the Lord is going to shed these things off of us and we're going to be bright and white shining. And people are like, wow, that's so cool. I, you know, I can't wait for that day to come. Well, yeah, you know, we can wait for that day to come or precursory to that. What is your life like before the Lord? Is your life a sacrifice before the Lord where you say, here, Lord. You see here in verse 3, the Lord is giving Moses these instructions. You shall make its pans to receive its ashes. You know, it translates as the ascension or to ascend. And its, and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pens. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it. I mean, like, you know, in Liz's old neighborhood, you know, she grew up in East L.A. And sometimes you'd have, we had a couple neighbors that were cholos. You know, and I was fit in those days. I'd go for a run, you know. And one guy, he was really cool. You know, at night he was, you know, doing crime. But during the day he was like, you know, hey, you know, we're going to have a barbecue, you know. And I saw them preparing for the barbecue. And so he invited us over. And I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe we, you know, we, we might. But, you know, we got church tonight. So, you know, and it, it, they had their, they had like a chain link fence. But they just put it on its side on some cinder blocks. It's kind of like a street barbecue. You know, you take cinder blocks and you take a chain link fence and you have this big old grate there where you can throw in some barbecue, throw in some ribs, some chicken, carne asada, you know, and you have this barbecue. And that's what the Lord is telling him here. He's like, hey, make this grate for it. 
a network of bronze on the network. And, and on the network, you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it to, you shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath and that the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles for the acacia wood and overlay them with bronze. All these things are brazen, bronze covered. And the poles, it's like, hey, put poles on it because you know, in the tabernacle, remember the tabernacle was portable. And so like they would be in one camp, the Lord would give instruction to Moses and say, hey, you're going to be here. And when you're here, you know, you take some tribes, you put some tribes over here, you put some tribes over here, and you put some tribes over here, and you put other tribes over here. And right in the middle is where this fire is going to be. And what's so beautiful about that, if, you know, I've said this before, but if we went back in time, we have a time machine. We all go back in time and say Fur brings a drone, you know, and he takes a drone and he has his phone there. And then all of a sudden we're right there and then he sends it up, you know, it goes up in the air and we look at his phone. You know, we'd see on the ground, you'd see the cross, the cross. We'll talk about that more when we get into numbers. But the way the Lord says, hey, you're going to have X amount over here, like the number of people. Several thousands over here, several thousands over here, several thousands over here, several thousands over here. It's the exact picture of the cross. That's what I mean when I say a shadow of the things to come. And it's like, whoa, you know. And Moses, by faith, he's doing these things. It's like, you know, he goes up into the cloud. The people down at the bottom of the mountain, they think he's dead. They're like, well, you know, remember, he was 40 days up into the cloud in the mountain. After a week, it's like, okay, Moses, the Lord is speaking to Moses. Two weeks, uh, what's up with Moses, guys? Three weeks, oh, I think he's gone. You know, I don't know what happened. Maybe he died. Maybe he fell off the cliff. Four weeks later, oh, he's dead. Moses is dead. Hey, Aaron, make me this golden calf. And Aaron, because he was a, a man pleaser, he wasn't a God pleaser at the time. He was a man pleaser. And he says, okay, you know, take this gold, give me the gold. And he fashions this golden calf. Precursor to all this, this egregious sin that's going to happen pretty soon. The Lord is telling Moses, hey, Moses, this is what I want you to do. The means by which there's atonement. You see, it's like, I mean, people read the law. They read these books of the law, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. And it's like, what's so powerful as Christians, as New Covenant believers, to read these passages of the Old Testament as a New Covenant believer. And say, Lord, show me Jesus Christ. Show me your handiwork here. And it's like, boom, he says, okay, I'll show you. And look what happens here. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of the cage wood, and overlay them with bronze. It was all portable. So when the Lord says, okay, Moses, pack up, and I'm going to lead you over here. You know, everybody would roll it up, you know, and put it on the poles and say, okay, we're going to take it. There's certain people that would qualify to take it in accordance with the law. And they say, okay, we're going to pack up. You know what I love about that so much? It's portable. In the wilderness, the Lord is with them. It reminds me of you and me, you and me. When the Lord says, you know, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always. What happens when, you know, it's like you wake up in the morning, you're at your bedside, you know, you might stretch a little bit. Open your Bible and start reading. You know, get up, brush your teeth, get dressed, go to work. It's not like you leave the Bible or you leave Jesus Christ. No, he's portable. He's right there with you. In your car, you know, you're jamming out, listening to music. He's right there with you. You get to work, you know, somebody, you know, says something bad. You're like, oh, man, this guy's such a jerk. You know, you might not say it, but you might think it. This guy's such a jerk. The Lord is still there with you. Say, Lord, you know, I want to love this guy, but it's so hard. But Lord, you know, I want to sacrifice unto you. Yeah, I still think he's a jerk. But Lord, I'm going to sacrifice unto you. Maybe I can buy him some chips or something. Take him out for a burger. And you know, it's all these things, these acts of love that chip away at people's hearts. 
I mean, have you ever been shown grace and mercy by a Christian before? Maybe you weren't walking with the Lord. I remember times when I wasn't walking with the Lord. Even a time when I didn't even know the Lord. And there was a Christian who showed me grace and mercy. And it was like a knife in my, it was like, it was like oh, my heart was a hard shell. And it's like ripping these little things off. They ripping these, you know, the hardness of my heart, ripping them off. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you specifically, you know, I was in Australia, you know, and we just left some country in Asia. I don't even know. I was so drunk, you know, we just left this country and I was drunk out of my mind, you know, and then we get back on ship and then the ship, we go to the next port. We're on our way to the Middle East and, you know, we're in the next port. And that's when I asked the Christian guys, like, you know, I just felt so like dirty. I think I told you guys this. I like I could take a million showers and I'd still be dirty. And he says, hey, you know what? You know, read my Bible. He gives, gives me his Bible. And I, I said, I don't even know where to read. He says, read the book of Matthew. And so I started to read the book of Matthew. And I read it. I started drunk. And when I ended, the Lord sobered me. And I read the entire book of Matthew that night. And I was crying the whole time. And I was mad too because I was like, how come all these Christians I knew as a kid, they never told me? Junior high, high school, I knew these Christians. You know, sometimes I'd go out with them. And, you know, I'd hang out with them. And, you know, I would pull them into my sin. Instead of them pulling me into righteousness. And then I started to make fun of Christians. And I was so mad. How come they never said anything about Jesus Christ? And you know, it blew me away because, you know, we get to the next Liberty Port. And I was like, man, all I could do is tell you what all the bars look like. You know, he said, well, have you ever been to this country? I could say, yeah, I've been to that country. You know, what does the culture look like? I don't know. I could tell you what the bars look like. I'm ashamed of these things. But then this Christian kid, you know, he comes and he tells me, you know, hey, come hang out with us. He knew I was going to go hang out with some friends. And he says, no, hang out with me. You know, we're going to, there's some, you know, Christians over here. There's some Navy guys, you know, they're Christians. You know, we have our little church here, but we're going to go. And there's some Christians in Australia. And so we went to this church in Australia and, you know, they were, they had a little short service because they were, somebody was getting married. And so they went to the marriage. It's like, here we are. Like, I don't even know these people. And I'm at their wedding. And like, you know, several days ago, I was drunk out of my mind. And then all of a sudden, you know, these people, they just showed us grace. And it was like my heart, like my heart was like covered in an enamel of just iron. And it was almost like every little act of love, you know, somebody would come, say, here, drink, here's your Coke, you know, here, have some water, you know, no beer, no alcohol. And I was like, wow, it's like, um, I'm in a foreign land and I'm not even drinking alcohol. Here, have some water. And then my other friend, it was weird, you know, we had to do pull-ups all the time. And so like, he couldn't do pull-ups because his shoulder was messed up. And it was such a trip because we're there, we're sitting at the table and my friend goes like this with his shoulder. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of the guys comes, one of the elder comes up and he says, oh, what's wrong with your shoulder? Or do you have pain? And he says, yeah, you know, I have all this pain. And he, he called to get the guy called some elders, some other elders, and they lay hands on him and they start to pray. And I remember I was just watching. They were praying. Everybody closed their eyes, but I was just watching like, what in the world is happening here? And they put their hand on his shoulder and they start to pray. And then when they say amen, they're done. And then my friend was like, what in the world? His shoulder. I mean, this is a guy who went to sick bay. His shoulder was so messed up that we were on a little ship, you know, kind of like a troop carrier. And so he had to go on like, sounds weird to say the mothership, but he had to go. I think it was the boxer, USS Boxer. He had to go on that ship to receive medical attention. And his shoulder was still, you know, messed up. I was going to say another word, but I was going to say jacked up, you know, just so you know, but I shouldn't say that. But his shoulder was still messed up. And they gave him all kinds of medication, you know, and we'd get rag him all the time because he couldn't do pull-ups. And so, yeah, doing pull-ups, you know, punch him in the stomach and stuff, you know, it's kind of a little hazing. But, you know, that's just, you know, how it is. And so he couldn't do his pull-ups. But then after this, it was like a miracle right there. And I was like, what in the world? I've never seen anything like that before. And then afterwards, we'd go do our PT and he would do pull-ups just like he would normally do. Like, whoa, this is wild. This is like the miracles, how they happen. And it's such a trip. It's like, you know, 
That's how the Lord works. He does all these things. You know, the Lord is portable. He's with you. No matter where you go. He's with you. You get in a fight with your husband. You get in a fight with your wife. The Lord is right there with you. Not saying, hey, you know, she's wrong. You know, go get her, go get her. Or he's wrong. Go get him. No, but he's right there like, hey, you know what? Your marriage is like, it's holiness. Don't fight about these stupid things. I could tell you, like, itemize all these things. Like, I used to fight about this and this and this and this. Today, I tell you, it's stupid. It's stupid. So many people fight. It's such a trip. Sometimes, you know, married couples, not anymore, but, you know, used to be married couples would, like, come and say, hey, Jay, I need to talk to you about this. It's like, okay. And then, so my wife is like, okay, bring your wife. So husband and wife, you know, sometimes Liz was there too. Husband and wife. And then like the husband say, oh, my wife did this. My wife did this. And then the wife would say, yeah, but my husband did this. <laughs> is that it? You know, like this is what you guys are arguing about. Like there's no point to it. Look, you know, you made a commitment to her. You made a commitment to him. There's nothing you can do about it. Why? It's, it, it blows me away so much, but no matter what, the Lord is with you. All stages of life. All stages of life. I mean, you're like in the shower, the Lord is with you. You know, you're all dressed and you go out to dinner, the Lord is right there with you. You go to sleep at night, the Lord is right there with you. And that's what's so cool about the, the portable nature of the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle in the Old Testament was a noun. The tabernacle in the New Testament, it's a verb that the Lord can tabernacle with you and with me. You see all these things. You, you think of like Israel coming through the Red Sea. It's like our water baptism. And then what happens when Israel, they're now in the wilderness. But they're in the wilderness and they're not alone because they're with the tabernacle that is portable. It goes with them from camp to camp. What about you and me? You know, the Lord right now, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He's portable. And just as in the Old Testament, you know, they would always have a portable tabernacle. And it was the son of David, Solomon, who the Lord says, okay, you're able to build a tabernacle, a fixed place. But there is a fixed tabernacle for you and me. That place is called Zion. You see all these things of the law. He's like, wow, I never really thought about it like that. Well, the Lord did here in verse 6. He's telling him, put these poles in it. The poles of acacia would overlay, overlay them with bronze. The poles in verse 7 shall be put into in, in the rings. And the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown, shown you on the mountain. So shall they make it. You know? It blows me away. You know, Brother Stephen, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the book of Acts. But Stephen gives an account to the religious class of what is happening here. And he is the one who says, you know what? The Lord showed it to Moses. So I don't know if like, you know, like in my mind's eye, I can't even fathom what it must have been like, what it must have been like if Moses was having a vision and the Lord was saying, hey, do it like this, do it like this, do it like this. But either way, it was shown to Moses on the mountain. He says, so as it was, as it, as it was shown you on the mountain, so, they shall, so shall they make it. He's saying, Moses, I'm showing you this. And when you get down from the mountain, now go do it. It reminds me a lot about you and me when we read our Bibles. When the Lord, when you read your Bible and the Lord is saying, hey, fur, I'm showing you this. Now go do it at the workplace. Now go do it in your marriage. Hey, Emily, you know you're having your personal time with the Lord. Hey, Emily, I'm showing you this in the Bible. Now go do it with your husband in the workplace. Everywhere you go, now go do it. To all of us, myself included. We read our Bibles, the Lord, all these things that the Lord is showing us. Now go do it. Brother James says, don't be a hearer of the word only. Be a doer of the word. Both. The, the two work together. A hearer and a doer. 
Sometimes people say, oh, James says, don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. So I'm going to go out and do, 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 do. But it's like, wait a second. Don't forget, you got to hear. A lot of people get in trouble because they say, I don't want to be a hearer of the word only. So I'm going to go out and be a doer of the word. And they do all these things and, you know, and they start these ministries. But because it's like they start to the hearing of the word starts to diminish. It's like the supply chain is broken. Don't let the supply chain break. When I say supply chain, like say we're a fire team. We go out on patrol. Say we're a platoon. We go out on patrol. Yeah, we're out here, but there's always a supply chain. You know, we might call for reinforcements and, you know, some other guys will come and bring it. Or maybe if the fight gets so heavy, we call for air reinforcements. The helos come in and they drop our ammo. We run. The fight is so thick, we run out of ammo. We're running low on ammo and then we call for, you know, air support. Or the fight is getting so thick, it's like, you know, the supply chain is always there. We call the helicopters in and they blow everything up. Don't let the supply chain break. Be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. It's the two working together. In verse 9, he says, You shall also make the court of the tabernacle for the south side. There shall be hangings for the, for, the, for the court made of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long for one side. And its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their, and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, along the length of the north side, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long. And its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze. And the hooks of the pillars and their bands of silver. And along the width of the court on the west side, there shall be hangings of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. With, with the width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits and their three pillars and their three sockets. And on the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. You know, it's such a trip. We're not going to see it here. But the Lord is giving these blueprints for the north side, the west side, the east side, and then the south side. And, in, and when we get into numbers, you're going to see the camp of Israel. And it's almost like a perfect overlay right in the middle. What do you have? The tabernacle, the holy place, the holy of holies, and the ark of the covenant. It's wild. And it's a cross. You know that drone image? You know, Fur takes his drone. We look at his phone. Whoa, check it out. It's a cross. And right in the middle of the camp, right in the middle at the where the, the cross meets, right in the middle, is you have the fire and it's like up in the it's so when you, when you read the books of the law, you know, read it as with new covenant eyes. Don't read it like, oh, okay, you know, I'm gonna deny the cross and you know I'm gonna go out in the wilderness and construct this. No. Read it with new covenant eyes. Verse 16 says, For the gate of the court shall be a screen 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars and four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits. The width uh, 50 throughout and the height five cubits made of fine fine woven linen and its sockets of bronze all the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service all its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze and you shall command the children of israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually you see the light is never extinguished. The light is never extinguished. As new covenant believers, you know what that looks like? The power of the Holy Spirit. Never extinguished. The light and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of my temple, inside of your temple, inside of first temple, inside of Emily's temple, inside of Liz's temple, inside of the temples of the little ones. When they start to know and comprehend these things. Pure oil of pressed olives. Remember the olive press of Jesus, the olive press of Jesus Christ, the Garden of Gethsemane, which literally translates as olive press. And then you know what do you have at Pentecost? Fifty days later, in accordance with the law, 
on the 50th day of the Feast of, uh, Feast of Harvest, what do you have? The baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the people in Acts chapter 2. All these things, it's like you read this and it's like you read it in, in, in the Gospels and, and in Acts. And it's like, oh my goodness. The whole time the Lord had everything laid out. These are the blueprints that he has for all this such great cloud of witnesses. You know, you think about Moses disappearing into the cloud. You don't have to think about Moses disappearing into the cloud. Man, it is a beautiful thing. His oneness, his intimacy that he has with the Lord. But when you read Hebrews 11 and you hear all these people by faith, all the things that happen by faith, he says in verse uh, uh, Hebrews 11, verse four, by faith, Abel, verse five, by faith, Enoch, verse seven, by faith, Noah, verse eight, Abraham, and then 11, Sarah, all these people, Abraham. You have Isaac, Jacob, jo Joseph, Moses, uh, all the, I mean, Rahab, a prostitute who believed. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, prophet. Women, verse 35 of Hebrews 11. Women received receive their, de receive their, uh, their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. By faith, they said, you know what? You know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. All these people, still others, had trials of mockings, of scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You ever feel like dirt in this world? You're a Christian, you love the Lord. But people say, oh, you know what? That guy is so stupid. That girl is so stupid. You know, all these people. The Bible, the holy word of God says of these people of righteousness, the world was not worthy for them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and dens of caves on earth. All these things. And Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, that's you and that's me, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's to say, this crack, this alcohol, this sexual stuff, Whatever it is to say, you know what? Get rid of it. Lay it aside and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see all these things. It's like we're I'm like straight up in the law. And this light, going back to Exodus chapter 27, verse 20. He says, you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. No matter what you face in this world, no matter how dark, no matter how whatever, this opposition, they can even chop off your head. They might even chop off your hand and say, deny Jesus Christ. They chop off your hand just as they did it with the guy, a brother in Africa. Here he is, you know, on the ground. They have him tied to the chair. His hands are strapped down. They chop off his hand. Deny Jesus Christ. He's bleeding. He says, no, I'm not going to deny Jesus Christ. They chop him off at, at the elbow. He's bleeding even more. I'm not going to deny Jesus Christ. They say, wow, you know, this guy's not going to deny Christ. So they shot him in the head, dead. Praise be to the Lord because it's like, wow, he honored the Lord. The light in his temple was like shining bright. That's the world that we live in today. We're just trapped in this America bubble. But it's coming. It's coming. Persecution is going to get worse and worse. Never let the light dim in your life, in your temple. And I'm speaking individually when I say that.
Sometimes, you know, a husband and wife, you know, like a family unit, they'll be like, wow, you know what? Let's let's never let the light dim inside of us, which is a good thing. But when I say I speak individually, you know, a light can dim one place, but man, let it be bright. And then verse 21, in closing, in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, remember Jesus Christ saying to tell us that it is finished. He takes his last breath, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he exhales and he dies. And right at that very moment, the veil was torn. In the temple, where they have the holy place, and then the holy of holies, and then inside was the ark, it was torn. From top to bottom. From top to bottom. It's so beautiful. It's not, not torn from bottom to top. Top to bottom. From God to man. From God the Father to you and me. Remember, in accordance with the law, only the high priest could enter there. Who is our high priest? Jesus Christ. Who is our sacrifice? Jesus Christ. And all these people saying, you know, Paul, what do I do? I want to honor the Lord. What do I do? Paul says, you know what? Render your life a living sacrifice. You don't have to give him the Lord, write a check for $1,000. No, give him your heart. Lord, I have nothing to offer, but here am I. Verse 21, in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from the evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. You're like, whoa, the Lord is giving Moses these blueprints to say Aaron is going to do this? Like, the Lord knows that Moses is going to come down from the mountain and see Aaron as like a priest of this golden calf. And yet the Lord is telling him, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. What about you and me before we came to Christ? What about the sin that we found ourselves in? And you know what the Lord can do to a heart that repents before the Lord. To say, wow, you know what? You used to be involved with this. Now I'm going to take you and I'm going to mold you and shape you into something beautiful. You see, that's how God works. That's how God works. So we're going to end our study here.